0: Broadcasting live out of Studio E in Los Angeles, California. Welcome to another edition of David Essel Alive. Nice to have you on board, gang. XM Satellite Radio, channel 168. We are damn proud to be part of the premier radio network. And streaming worldwide. As a matter of fact, uh, our our upcoming guest who we're going to have in a couple minutes, when I was thinking streaming worldwide, Robert Mazur, uh, I'm sure that he has some people that probably would not want to hear the show that he may have helped put behind bars. we're talking about him in his secret life as a DEA undercover agent. But we are streaming live around the world, giving people ideas and thoughts and information on how you can live life to the fullest, life to the max We welcome aboard the 12 million XM Satellite Radio subscribers. And if uh, your friends want to listen to the show but maybe they don't yet have XM Satellite Radio, they can listen live via our website, talkdavid.com. If you want to email us during the show, many, many, many of our listeners take advantage of that. Uh, Go ahead to talkdavid.com and hit contact us. Send us an email via Facebook absolutely like our page, David Essel Alive. Our David Essel page is maxed out, uh, but we have opened up our new page, David Essel Alive, for you to like us, and we post information there to help you make the best choices in your life every day. Our toll-free number, 1-800-548-TALK, 1-800-548-TALK. I can't imagine the life this... Our next guest, Robert Mazur, he's the author of the book, The Infiltrator... My Secret Life Inside the Dirty Banks Behind Pablo Escobar's Medellin Cartel. I can't imagine what that life would have been like. I can't imagine what it would be to to be someone totally different part of the time and have to be yourself the other part of the time. That confusion has to get to us at some time when you think, even if we're doing incredible work in this world, I wonder. Robert, welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you very much for inviting me.
0: Yeah. When did this all start? When did you decide to go into this line of work, undercover agent work?
1: Well, it it was after I'd already spent 14 years working as a federal agent um, on groups. Uh, I worked in a task force that focused on the Colombian cartel uh, command and control and the money laundering uh, organizations that enabled uh, the transformation of their mountains of money into real businesses or real appearing businesses that could be used to corrupt democracies, but um, I, as I worked on those cases in a very traditional sense with my colleagues in wiretaps and using informants and search warrants and, and those types of things, we ultimately came to the decision that a long-term undercover technique would be the most effective way for us to be able to identify the command and control, infiltrate their money laundering operations, and, and have a, a successful investigation. So I volunteered Uh, To be a a long-term undercover agent, I went through an undercover school—that two schools, actually—that really were were a tremendous blessing for me. I I got the—I got the opportunity to be mentored by some of the best undercover agents that previously had worked in this country, including uh, Joe Pistone, the um, former FBI agent that the movie and uh, the book Donnie Brasco is based upon. But I also. Yeah, I also had the opportunity within those schools to be very much involved with, with educators who are very focused on that science of long-term undercover and psychologists who very, are very, very important, uh, compliment to, uh, to the leadership of training for long-term undercover agents. Because this is, uh, uh, um, a roller coaster ride that is, in my view, I can't imagine anything that is more Mentally and physically stressing uh, stressful right than the than right. long term undercover
0: yeah Robert, now let me ask you, how do you because this is the thing that was blowing my mind as I was going through your book how are you trained to lie like well like, I, you know to, to to play the poker face and all that kind of stuff so that when you 're infiltrating these different cartels or the banks and the businesses and all that kind of stuff how do you, how do you mask? who you truly are and continue to project something you're not
1: well it, it's a very complicated equation but part of the equation is first to go through the vetting process to enable the professionals the psychologists and the trainers to make sure that you are within that range of uh, mental state that they're looking for I guess they probably want to figure out if you're really truly crazy enough to do this but <laughs> but, <laughs> but the uh, I, I think, really, what they look for, so I'm told, you know, and, I, and and they told me that I scored out quite well on this, but anyway, uh, there are a lot of tests that are done, and, and what they're looking for are people who do not have a big gray area, people who simply see a very clear definition of right and wrong, black and white, mm. um, and, and people who don't attempt to rationalize, because if you do, let me tell you that once you are within the underworld, if you have the good fortune to get as high as I had the opportunity to get. There is, a, there is a tug. There is a tug that you need to be well-grounded uh, in order to deflect. Uh, when I, after I got through the undercover schools, another part of that equation was having the type of leadership, and I did, that was un- had enough foresight to recognize that you really have to have your undercover uh, bona fides well established and I, I spent about 18 about fifteen months 18 months that's right about 18 months putting together what I think is one of the more sophisticated fronts that were used in long-term undercover my role was to be portrayed as a mob-connected money launderer mob being the Italian-American mob and mm-hmm. with with the help of about six uh, informants I became well first I evolved as a real totally verifiable new identity and I was embedded in true active businesses. These weren't storefronts that were turned on just when the bad guy came down. These were real businesses. So an investment brokerage business. We had an air charter service with a private jet, uh, a jewelry chain with about 70 locations on the East Coast, and even a brokerage firm with a seat on the New York Stock Exchange.
0: So- now, let me ask you something, Robert. Let me ask you a question. Now, these were businesses that were already in in in, in operation before – you became involved with them; they weren't just something that the government created to make it look like you had a business.
1: That's true. That's correct. Huh. Okay. And 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 probably two of the more, more important informants that uh, worked with me on that were people who I had had uh, a very long prior relationship with. They were informants of mine within one of the five uh, uh, crime families, Italian American crime families in New York. Uh, I'm from New York originally. Um, I have an Italian heritage. I used to work in a bank and a brokerage firm. I, my uh, college education was in accounting and business administration, finance. So I had a business background, and that's one of the most important things when you are a long-term undercover agent, is that you need to really work within your own skin. I, I, of course, yes, mm. as you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I did lie. I, and I lied as with respect to my my real name. Uh, I lied with respect to my active involvement in these businesses, although I was truly active at the time that the undercover operation was was underway. But one of the most important things in working long-term undercover is to create a an appearance of this new identity that is close to you as it possibly can be right, and I'm causes sure. you to have to lie as little as
0: possible oh that's interesting that's interesting. hey here, here's a, a question I, I know in reading that you were in 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 this role that you played as this this mob kingpin yourself that you had the opportunity to fly in jets and money was not an issue and all that kind of stuff was there ever temptation offered to you that was any type of a struggle at all to go to p- partly to that other side
1: I don't, I, I don't think so, not in, in, uh, in reality. I, uh, yes, I, I, I handled literally millions of dollars, sometimes millions of dollars a day, uh, but it never crossed my mind and it never interested me in any way, shape, or form to forget why I was really there. When you get into these long-term operations, the number one thing you need to be thinking about is the fact that everything and anything that you do at some stage is going to become an issue you're going to need to testify about at trial. I recorded I recorded about 1200 conversations during the course of the uh, I and my partner did of the uh, during the long-term undercover operation and those were conversations not only with some of the highest ranking people within the Medellin cartel at the time but also I became a conduit for them to what was the seventh largest privately held bank in the world, a bank for the presence in 72 countries with more than 15,000 employees. And I was dealing with the senior board members and the directors of the bank who were intentionally and knowingly, as unfortunately is the case in, in a certain segment of the international banking and business community, accepting drug proceeds and laundering that money. So, and,
0: you, and, you're, and you're making this, this claim that they were knowingly doing it. This, this is something that was just accepted business practices.
1: Yes and you know it was unequivocally proved as as a result of the recorded conversations those were the cornerstones of uh, evidence that were used to convict the senior management of the bank uh cause them to be imprisoned and ultimately wow. to cause the demise of the bank but the interesting thing i found during the course of the undercover operation and then after the arrest because i was involved in debriefing many of these uh, international bankers is their comments were at the time. I don't understand why you're picking on us. We're not doing anything that anybody else in the international banking community isn't doing. And there is a body of cases that have come out in the last five or six years that unequivocally confirm uh, that they were right. Uh, that that is happening. And banks, not just banks in little tiny countries like Liechtenstein, but banks right here in the, in, in the United States. In 2010. And and it was something that was not very highly spoken about within the media. Uh, But in 2010, uh, Wachovia Bank entered into a deferred prosecution, which in my mind is a legal slap on the wrist. You say, yes, oh my gosh, I did commit that criminal offense, and I'm going to let you monitor my uh, banking transactions going forward for 12 months. And if I'm a good banker, then I'm out of that uh, probationary oversight Mm -hmm. And I pay a fine. They paid a fine of $160 million. And what they admitted in the deferred prosecution is that they accepted more than $400 billion in deposits during the years 2004 to 2007 from account holders in Mexico.
0: These wow. were U.S.
1: dollar deposits. And wow. of, the, of the $400 billion, $14 billion was in actual bulk currency. We're talking mountains of cash shrink-wrapped on pallets being brought back into the United States, and I say brought back because I was a money launderer undercover, and I can tell you, in my view, that a lot of that money was picked up in in uh, streets within the United States. Uh, we used to pick up a million, two million on a given day in, in one of eight major cities. That happens every single day many many times in, in those cities and then that money was smuggled into Mexico and then given to a house of exchange a casa de cambio to make it appear as though that it was legal revenue and then it was brought back by Wacovia. and Now let me, Robert
0: thing. is is there any connection between them admitting that paying that fee and then being bought out by Wells Fargo
1: Oh yeah it was right in the middle of the Wells Fargo buyout so I think right. uh, it's it's pretty interesting that uh, they were allowed to pay a uh, hundred and sixty million dollar fine, which which amounted to two percent of their profits in the prior what? year, and and that's all they had to do. Not one person went to jail, not wow. one single individual. And there's another mm-hmm. ten or, or or so banks that I could tell you that same story about. Three or four of which are U.S. banks, and the other ones are foreign-based international banks that have done the same type of thing in the last four mm-hmm. or five years. Mm-hmm. I got to see that up close and personal through uh, through the long-term undercover operation that I address in, in a book, and, and I also got the opportunity to share with the public not just what I perceived, but what really was said back and forth between me and those individuals, because I did a uh, Freedom of Information Act request, and I got uh, the 1,200 transcripts and recordings right. that were used in the case so that I could show the actual quotes of exactly right. what occurred.
0: I love it. Robert, I'm going to ask you to hang in there. We've got to go to a break. We're going to come back. My guest, Robert Mazur, the uh, former DEA undercover agent. The name of the book, The Infiltrator, My Secret Life Inside the Dirty Banks behind Pablo Escobar. We'll be coming back with Robert. More with him about what transpired behind the scenes. Were there any close calls to getting caught? We'll find out that. And also, what about now? How has his life changed? David Essel live every Saturday, bringing you information to change your life, to help you make the best decisions, to educate you on the world at the same time. 1-800-548-TALK, 1-800-548-TALK. I am David Essel. Stay right there. Rocking across the USA every Saturday, 6 to 9 Eastern, 3 to 6 Pacific, broadcasting live out of Studio E in Los Angeles, California, XM Satellite Radio 168. Welcome, gang. David Essel Live, America's positive radio talk show. We're speaking with Robert Mazur right now, author of the book, former DEA undercover agent, author of the book, The Infiltrator. Talking about his secret life that eventually ended up being uh, one of the major crashes taking down Pablo Escobar's cartel. Robert, were there any really close calls as an undercover mob boss, playing the role of an undercover mob boss, any really close calls of you getting caught?
1: Yeah, there definitely were. Um, you know, the, the book that I wrote is about half of my undercover life, so after that one was over, that. The the next one, I went back under for another two and a half years. The, that one I had the closest of calls, although I'll go back to this one in a second. But the closest of all calls was that next operation where it turned out that the officer who was assigned to work with me was already on the cartel's payroll. And oh, my I gosh. Outed, yeah, he outed me while I was working undercover and, and and included working undercover in Columbia. So I could have easily been killed in that operation, and he wound up... Uh, that was probably the, the most important prosecution we made out of that operation uh was putting him behind bars for eleven years. But during the one that's that's the subject of the book, uh there were two very close calls. One, I was in the lobby of the Helmsley Palace uh with my mentor within the cartel of a very, very high ranking guy uh who was there and his armed bodyguard was outside in the car. We were waiting for another undercover agent to come down and meet us, and then we were going to go to a restaurant. And as we were in the lobby, I heard a bellowing sound from the other side of the lobby where somebody yelled, Bob, and I looked up. And I had worked one other long-term operation before the one in the book. And uh, here comes the guy who was a money launderer, had already served his time. <laughs> uh, thank, thank goodness I had... Um, really stepped up to the plate for him made and, and, and helped, along with my fellow agents, to make it clear to the court just how much he had cooperated. And he wound up with uh, only a five-year prison sentence. He was out. He was now back out. He was in the Helmsley Palace, and he was walking with fast feet in my direction. So I turned to uh, the cartel guy who was next to me, and I just said, Oh, an old friend, wait here. And I walked briskly to him, and I embraced him. I only had enough time to whisper in his ear, Charlie, I'm under again, and play along. And right. by then, the other guys were up to uh, next to me, and I stepped back. I felt a cold bead of sweat go down the center of my back as I was waiting to hear what he was going to do. And he played right along. He said, you know, hey, the guys in Vegas haven't seen you in a while. You really need to quit working so hard. You're doing a great job for us. And, and, and he played along.
0: Um, he had been in prison. Oh,
1: he read Chuck Colson's book in prison and decided to become a born again Christian. And yeah. had that not been the case, uh, and if he was uh, not happy with me, uh, right. I don't know how that day would have gone. But there was another uh, another time uh, later in the operation. Now, you know, Robert, cop- just so
0: you know, we've Robert, just so you know, we're going to go to a quick break in sixty seconds. I want you to hang with us, but just so you know, you got sixty seconds to tell this story.
1: Okay. Um, in, in this instance, uh, I was accused of being an, a DEA undercover agent. I was in a meeting. Uh, the surveillances that were done to try to follow the people that dropped off millions of dollars to me and my co-undercover uh, agents uh, was burned, and the uh, the Colombians had counter-surveillance out there. So they knew the feds were out there, and they suspected me. So I had a one-on-one meeting with no cover, uh, no gun, no badge, just uh, met one-on-one in a not-very-nice area of Miami at a hotel and and talk my way out of it. But uh, that was probably the next next closest.
0: (laughs) When we come back with... I could talk to this guy all day, gang. Robert Mazur, the name of the book is The Infiltrator. When we come back, we're going to jump ahead and, and, and ask these questions about how does this undercover work affect your family and friendships? I'm interested. I'm sure you are as well. Every Saturday, 6 to 9 Eastern, 3 to 6 Pacific, David Essel alive America's Positive Radio Talk Show, Eight hundred five four eight talk Stay there. Pure Positive Talk Radio, every Saturday, 6 to 9 Eastern, 3 to 6 Pacific. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your day. You have so many options. The fact that you're choosing to hang with us is much appreciated. David Essel in the box every Saturday, 6 to 9 Eastern, 3 to 6 Pacific. Information, inspiration, education, what we do best for the last 21 years. We're going to carry on, gang. Uh, On XM Satellite Radio 168, proud to be part of the premier radio network and streaming worldwide via talkdavid.com. Our toll-free number, 1-800-548-TALK, 1-800-548-8255. If you want to email us during the show, which many of you do, just go to talkdavid.com, hit Contact Us, send us an email, and do not forget to sign up with us on Facebook under David Essel Alive. Simply like that page and get free information seven days a week posted just for you. My guest, Robert Mazur, a former... Uh, DEA undercover agent, author of the book "The Infiltrator," Robert. As as going undercover and doing all this work, is there any damage that happens to friendships, to family relationships, to intimate relationships during this time that you're you're undercover? The stress of it all. T- tell us about that. Well,
1: there certainly can be. I mean, I, I have former colleagues who uh, did this type of work who wound up in prison not, not just one uh... multiples uh... It, it all boils down to how well prepared you are how well trained you are uh... how grounded you remain throughout the undercover operation but even if you are as prepared as you could be and i think i was um, thanks to the the leadership that i had and the and the uh... educators that i had around me even with that um, you will not get through this process without uh, emotional scars. It, 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 it. To me, I don't. I don't believe you can. You may not admit it. Uh, I did in my book. Uh, there were times when I was was very affected by
0: uh, emotionally by
1: what. It and was how, how did that?
0: How did that come out? How, how did that come out, Robert?
1: Well, you know, uh, my, probably my watershed work, uh, moment working long-term undercover is that, that small, it was a six-month job before this, the one that's in the book, and, uh, and I addressed this in the book. And, uh, you know, as, as we came to the conclusion of an undercover operation, and I had to really, um, I don't manipulate people to get them to do things that they wouldn't otherwise do. I manipulate them to, to give me their trust, to tell me the truth about what it is that they're doing. And in doing that, Uh, I did that with that accountant who wound up uh, meeting me in the Helmsley Palace by mistake many years later, uh, and an attorney. But I I, I had visited them in, um, of all places, Biloxi, Mississippi, and we're there waiting, trying to figure out where the the number one drug trafficker is in the case, and I needed to go there right right before the takedown. And I showed up, and uh, as sometimes happens, we become, in their minds, friends, and uh, their wives had cooked a special dinner. We sat down at the table. And just before we did, we are in the Bible Belt, and uh, just before we did, uh, I had one bad guy on either side of me, and, and uh, one of them said, well, let's all grasp hands and bow our heads. And we sat there, and, and as they were praying, the, 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 ju- the gist of it was that they were so thankful that I had come into their lives, that I had mm. brought so much uh enriched them and they were looking so much forward to a lifelong relationship with me and and thanking god for uh oh. for for our friendship and uh i i made it through that night i knew the next day they were all going to get arrested um the next morning uh i had to pick them up and take them to a hotel where they thought they were going be to be meeting my mob bosses and they got arrested mm. and uh but the the night before i called my wife and um uh, we're in the morning. Actually, I called my uh, my wife called me. That's right. My wife called me. I was at the hotel. Um, we tried to stay in contact, but you know you've got to stay in role when you're when you're in a hotel room where you're using sure. any, any place where you're going to be. So, um, but in the course of it, I let her know that I really had gone through uh, what I thought was um, a very very. Difficult time, and and as I was speaking with her, it's not like I was crying, but you know there were there, there clearly there was a tear or two running down my eyes uh, during the course of it, trying to say that this was this was something I had never felt, and really what I what I did feel, and what I think it is a part of this um, uh, this this environment, is that I gave a piece of me. Uh, I I didn't really lie to them all that much, uh, you know, if I don't like you. You'll know I don't like you. Uh, I, I'm not going to put that kind of facade on. And uh, and there are plenty of bad guys that I dealt with. That I said I, you know, this is it. You know, we're going to do the business thing. or we won't even do the business thing because because we just didn't get along. Uh, mm-hmm. But these were guys who uh, really were, aside from the fact that they were in fact laundering money for this global marijuana trafficker, um, pretty okay people. <laughs> And um, and I had to uh, I had to really struggle with the idea that in order for me to be able to be your friend, I can't fake it. So I had to give you a piece of me, my piece of my soul, in order right. for me to be able to get that right. close to you. It's a very very weird thing. Uh, unless you're there, you don't understand. I've talked to other long term undercovers; they get it the second I start talking to them about it. But you know, the scary thing is that there are undercovers out there, long term undercovers who scoff at that and and say you know well come on these people are nothing and uh, and they're right there with the mm. high fives when they get arrested and you know i think that that's not a very healthy thing i think mm-hmm. that i should probably uh not rejoice uh in 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 the long run um yeah i did my job i did it as i was as i was supposed to do it um but i did sacrifice emotionally some in order mm-hmm. to be able to achieve that and I just can't embrace that idea of being super happy about the fact that I'm now impacting the lives of not just right. those defendants, but their families. No, their families. Children. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, these are people yeah. who I who I knew very well, and, mm-hmm. and and who you know I remember walking into the courtroom in in the the VCCI major trial. It was a six month trial. I testified every single court day. Uh, I got on the middle, uh, in, for half of the trial, I got on the, the the stand in the middle of March and off in the middle of June, 30, uh, three months uh, mm-hmm. of nothing but me testifying. And their families were all there, and I mm-hmm. saw them every day. And the looks on their face were of just tremendous betrayal. You know, how could you have possibly done that? You were our friend. Sure. Um, but, you know, sure. I was there for a different reason. I was there because, I, you know, I want to be a part of making a difference. I want to be a part of serving the public. I never thought that being part of a making a difference was to be at a high position within the government and be uh, an agent way, way 15 levels above. I thought the way to really be a part of making a difference was to be in the trenches and deal face to face with crime. And that's what I wanted to do, and I think that's what I did get to do. Um, but in doing it, you do definitely, if you're going to do the, the long-term undercover stuff, you wind up um, having to be prepared. Thank God I was. Um, for for some emotional effect uh, that that you're going to have from dealing with people for years on end um, in another identity,
0: Robert. How as a, as an undercover DEA agent doing the work that you did, and, and I'm going to ask this final question. We've got a couple minutes, uh, and then we're going to go to a break. But I want you to hang in there because there's just so much to go through with you. How did your wife handle this? I mean. How does how does your wife handle the fact that you're undercover as a mob boss, handling millions of dollars a day, dealing with people that can take you out at any moment? How did she handle the stress?
1: I was really fortunate. Um, we 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 met. I was eighteen. She was sixteen, and um, we were friends uh, before we became more than friends, and um, and so we had faith in one another for now forty four years, um, um, I was very, very lucky also in that my family was based in the same city where we lived. My mom and dad were there, my brother and his family were there, so when I was gone they she had a support system okay. but she also she also had her own career. She was an educator, um, she taught first grade um, mm-hmm. very active uh, and you know we had two kids, nine and eleven uh, at the start of this undercover mm-hmm. operation so they uh they had a lot of things uh, on their plate during the course of uh of this whole experience and um i think that and and, and i say this many times because i speak all over the world on about about this these issues and and um if it wasn't for her um right now i think i would probably be uh, a lonely old guy who uh who who wouldn't have the opportunity to share uh, every day with his six grandkids and um, and and I owe it all to her for having kept mm. us together as a family, because um, she's mm. the one who deserves all the credit for having
0: done that. It was so, so awesome. We're going to be coming back in a minute. We're going to these important messages. More with Robert Mazur. I'm not letting this guy go. Robert had no idea that he was signed on for until midnight tonight with our show, did he? <laughs> 1-800-548-TALK. Of course, the former DEA undercover agent, the name of his book is The Infiltrator. Check it out. We'll be coming back and talking more about how he dealt with the emotional stress. You know, when we've talked uh, to undercover cops before... Most of them will say that that eventually the stress gets so great that they become addicted to drugs they become addicted to alcohol, they become addicted to something we 'll find out from Robert how he handled that uh, the emotional overload that so many of these other undercover cops end up having to resort to something outside of themselves to deal with this stress, and then also, what was the final crashing moment, a wedding of all things that ended. What we're talking about today with former undercover DEA agent Robert Mazur. David Essel in the box, 1 800 548 Talk, 1 800 548 Talk, Saturday, 6 to 9 Eastern, 3 to 6 Pacific. I am David Essel. Stay right there. I can see you crystal Go ahead David Essel alive every Saturday across these great United States. XM Satellite Radio 168 and also... Streaming worldwide at DavidEssel.com, dot com. One eight hundred five four eight. Talk. My guest, Robert Mazur, The name of the book: uh, "The Infiltrator: My Secret Life Inside the Dirty Banks Behind Pablo Escobar's Medellin Cartel." Uh, Robert. On a personal note, first, I just want to thank you so much for being so gracious with your time and giving us much more than we had asked for.
1: <laughs> well, you're, you're you're welcome. I, you know, it. it um, it makes me feel good to be able to share this story. That's why I, I did the book, and that's why we're we're now hopefully uh, in a successful movie development. Uh, I think that there's some very interesting things that uh, that the public can can receive mm-hmm. by hearing this story. Not just about the challenges of living a double life, um, but also about what this what the drug world is really all about, and how, mm-hmm. <clears throat> especially. How the international banking and business community is uh, is a major artery that keeps the heart of the uh, drug world beating.
0: Well, you know exactly, and 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 I really love the the way that you pulled in Wachovia Bank into this and shared with us, you know, real life up to the moment that this is happening. Just because you know you were part of this huge bust. That, that, that really uh, unfolded in such a wonderful way that it really... And, and isn't that kind of frustrating, Robert, in a way that no matter how big of a bust you are involved with, that banks in the United States right now are still doing this crap?
1: Yeah, well, you know, there's no silver bullet to the answer of this problem. Um, part, part of it probably uh, has to do with looking in the mirror and recognizing that our nation um, happens to have a population that's the number one user of illegal drugs throughout the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody, nobody comes close to uh, the per capita in- intake of illegal drugs um, to, in comparison to us. But the, this really scary thing about, uh, about the drug world and, and what it does, and I saw it firsthand when it was, when it was going on when I dealt with uh, the, Col- the Medellin cartel in the undermining of a democracy in Colombia at the time, in infiltrating uh, not just their, their law enforcement but their military, their judicial and legislative systems, even their media. Uh, they were killing people left and right. people I dealt with uh, killed judges, killed uh, media reps, mm. who tried to uh, to put the information out. But if you look at right. today today there's a there's a, one particular case I really urge your listeners to to google the last name is juma j o u m a a that 's j o u m a a and mu- and put in that in money laundering or drug trafficking and and you can see the indictment. Um, and, and scan through that and go down to the factual basis of the case. And, and you can see charts and all types of things that the government has put out. Basically what that story tells, and this is a case that was just indicted in ele- the end of 2011, we're talking six, seven months ago. Right. And, and, and in that case, you have a marriage of the leadership of the Mexican cartels, the Colombian cartels, and Hezbollah. Mm-hmm. And you have a very active involvement of terrorist organizations working with these cartels now. Um, We hear all the time about Mexico and it being the gateway into North America for the Colombian cartels and their cocaine. But what we don't hear about a lot is the nations in North Africa, like Togo, Benin, Mali, Ghana, Sierra Leone, Nigeria. These nations comprise the Mexico of the routes up into Europe, and they are corrupting those nations as well, just in the same fashion Mm. that the Mexican cartels are are attempting to corrupt the Mexican democracy uh, by... Uh, and, and just a, a couple of months ago, we saw an active general, two recently retired uh, additional generals, and a, and a retired lieutenant colonel in the Mexican military who were all paid off by one of the cartels. And, and forty-nine beheaded bodies with no hands right. and no feet the, right. at the at the entranceway to San Juan, Mexico, a, a small mm-hmm. town that Los Zetas the most. Violent drug organization in Mexico, which really is an offshoot of the special forces of the Mexican military.
0: Jeez, uh,
1: that these guys are, are ruthless, and and for them to throw forty nine bodies, and many of those bodies were migrants. These were you know just yeah. normal people. They just wanted to shock the heck out of that out of that city and out of that Mm -hmm. portion that region of mexico to let them know that as far as they were concerned they controlled it one hundred percent right so i mean look at that juma case and 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 it's a scary it's a scary scary picture
0: final final question for you robert how have you changed since all of this? How have you changed personally? How have you changed relationships? I mean, are, are, and, and I guess a secondary question I'm going to ask, can you be Robert? Can can you go out in public? Do you have to have plastic surgery to hide your identity? Tell us about you.
1: Well, after the undercover operation I addressed in the book, and then I, I give the details about this, but I had uh, agents from the Drug Enforcement Administration as well as from uh, the U.S. Customs Service. Now it's Homeland Security. Come to me with uh, very specific details about a witness or witnesses uh, that they had interviewed that told them about a contract that was on my life. And mm-hmm. one of the intelligence agencies provided additional information uh, that pretty much uh, corroborated that fact. So uh, I and my wife and my two kids, uh, we left, we were uh, taken out of the country, we came back in under another identity, and lived pretty much underground for quite some time. Um, no, I do not allow a current likeness of like, of my appearance to to either be videoed or, or photographed. The the author's photo in the in the book is a silhouette, in every single interview that I've done, and I've done quite a few on the History Channel, PBS, ABC, uh, and many and many Univision, uh, Telemundo. Uh, I've done many of them, and and I all, always do those in silhouette, and not because I think that there's anybody you know hiding behind the next door to. To uh, try to hurt me, but only because I think that it's um, it's it's probably the best thing to do given the history of the of, of the threat, and um, and so from that standpoint, um, you know, I do have uh, some concerns that the normal citizen doesn't have to worry about.
0: So. Sure, I can imagine a few, my lord. Oh my gosh! And and Robert, just so you know, we have silhouetted you on our show as well. Great, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> You're very welcome. Robert, this has been an absolute joy. I want to thank you again for your time. The name of the book is The Infiltrator. Robert Mazur is the uh, the author, former DEA agent. And, uh, and Robert, are you, are you, now we have 40 seconds left. Another book coming out?
1: Well, I think that there's a good possibility. We, uh, and it's going to depend upon the the movie development of this particular book. But if that definitely is a go and it's starting to look like it is, uh, I, I would like to do uh, another book, uh, the book about the next two and a half years uh, where I worked undercover. And the difference in that operation, I, I did the, I played the same role. Uh, I was a mob-connected money launderer again. But the problem was that I had my partner who was with me that I didn't right. know at the time, uh, who was on the take uh, of the cartels. And and that whole story really is about pretty much the enemy within, and how uh, I I I could have easily. I've lost my life as a
0: result yeah. of, of working on yeah. that operation. Yeah, that's that's got to be an amazing, amazing experience. Well, again, thank you so much. Good luck with the movie. And if you do do another book, Robert, we want you back.
1: Great. Uh, I really enjoyed spending time with you and your listeners.
0: Yeah, thank you. Have a wonderful day. Okay, bye. 1-800-548-TALK, incredible, Hong gang? Cannot imagine the life of an undercover agent, cannot imagine being in that position, Uh, but now you can get a very firsthand look at it through the book, Robert's book, The Infiltrator. Check it out. Coming up next, what's it like to be a medium? What's it like to be able to get in touch with people that have already passed on, and how would your life be different If you lived without any regrets, those two topics may seem separate, but they're identically the same with Karen Noe. Our guest coming up next, David Essel in the box. Stay there.